Oh, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. Nice to see you all this morning and see a few new faces with us this morning too. So welcome to you. Um, I'm not sure if you've been here before and, but, or this is your first time, but um, either way, welcome and we're glad that you're here this morning with us. It's not a complicated thing when we come together on a Sunday morning. It's not very complicated. We'd lo- we just like to do a couple of things. We like to worship God and we like to listen to his word. Um, that's really all it is. But yet it's so powerful and it's so important that we do this. Yes, we can do it from home. We can log on and do, do it from home and we can listen to God's word. Um, <clears throat> yes, we can listen to the recordings and, uh, that are uploaded on our website. You can go to our website and find sermons from years back. That's good. That's good. Um, but there's something very, I don't know, significant about being together, gathering, making a time to gather together and actually fellowship together. Fellowship together. There's something quite significant about that. And I think as Christians we understand that. I think we understand the significance of gathering together and being able to listen to the Lord, worship together as we will in heaven as we will in the life to come, worship together and listen to the voice of the Lord. And that's why we go to the Bible, because the Bible is our source, it's, our, it's the Word of God. Um, imagine if I came up here and just spoke about my experiences and ideas I've had and concepts that I've thought about. Um, might entertain you for a while, but I'm sure a lot of you would get tired of it after a while. Because it's the Word of God that is what we love so much. And it's the Word of God that transforms us and changes us. So I pray this morning that not only do you continue to know and grow the Lord Jesus Christ more, but even this morning there is a deeper appreciation of God's Word and what it says and what it is for us. So let's, let's um, come together and pray. Ask God's blessing this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have all the promises that you give us in your word. Uh, We thank you that we can believe and know that the promises are always true, that you are the same yesterday and today and forever, and that you promise to guide us and lead us, and we thank you for this. Father, we um, just thank you for the word this morning. We pray that you speak to our hearts, that our hearts are really open. It's a real deep appreciation of what you say. But more importantly, Lord, a great love for you and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. So it's a simple question to ask people when they're listening to God's Word. Actually, by the way, if you want to open up God's Word, we're going to read from the Gospel of John. uh, The Gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 3. So if you go to the Gospel of John, open up the chapter 3. We'll start from the, the, the beginning of that chapter. But it's a very simple question to ask people and you sort of almost think, why do you even need to ask it? Because we're here at church, aren't we? We came to church, didn't we? You know. But if I ask a simple question like, is your heart open? Is your heart open this morning to receive God's word? It's almost like I'm being critical of you. It's almost like I'm saying, well, maybe their hearts aren't ready to hear God's word. And then this one you'll say to me, but I'm at church, aren't I? Surely if I'm at church, then I would be ready to hear God's word. Well, the funny thing is, is that it's not always the case, is it? 
that the, the weird thing about human life and humanity is that it's not always the case, that we can present in one way, but deep down we're a very different thing. And we can go to places, but really we might not have the same um, um, readiness or interest that we ought, ought to have. So I think the question's valid. I think the question's good. You know, is our, Are our hearts ready and open to hear God's word? And when we do that, I believe God is faithful God is faithful to speak because the word of God is what converts the soul. Did you hear that? It's the word of God that converts the soul. I can be motivational and I can be inspirational and I can say things, wow, that I haven't, you hadn't heard before. And you think, oh, that's amazing. I haven't heard that concept before. And, um, and you can be temporarily excited about what you've heard. But it's the word of God that converts the soul. And when you trust in God's word, when you really trust in the word of God, then you begin to see what it can do in your life. See, what people do is this. They, for a season, look at what they see outwardly and they either get encouraged or they get discouraged by the things that they experience and they see. It's the classic scenario. Someone comes up to me and says, oh, you know, I don't know about your your Christianity because I've been to a church and I see what they do. That's true, yeah. I don't disagree with you. You probably did go to a church and you probably did see some bad things. Yeah, because that's, that happens. That, that's, that's life. That happens. I'm not here to defend what other churches do. But I tell you the truth, if, I, if that person was just to look only at one person and the Lord Jesus Christ and what he teaches in his word and opens his heart to trust Jesus alone and is willing, then... He or she will find the word of God converts the soul. And so Jesus was all about that. Jesus was all about wanting to help people come to a place where they can trust God, trust God and his word, and experience what everyone else or nobody else had ever experienced in history. What it means to know Jesus and what it means to know the work he did on the cross. What it means to have trusted in the blood that he shed for the forgiveness of sins. One thing that is absolutely clear, when someone receives or someone knows what it means to be forgiven of their sin, they understand the grace of God. We know absolutely clearly that their life can never be the same again. It just, it just change, it has to change. When someone tries to do just better in life, then you may not notice a big difference in them. Someone tries to just do, you know, kind of you know, turn a leaf. You may not notice a long-term anything really significant you might for a moment but not long term but when someone trusts in the work of jesus and says lord you have to save me and forgive me from what i'm doing and what i've done then that to that person they begin to experience what it means to be forgiven and what it means to be saved and that is you cannot you cannot not see that there's that is something that is obvious to the people around them. And so when Jesus is in this situation, he's trying to communicate truth that, humanly speaking, is hard to understand. But he's trying to explain it so that people can receive it and people can uh, believe it so that their whole life can be uh, as the Lord has called them to be. So I want to share with you this morning a story about an old friend an old friend of mine who uh, I've known for years, for years, and I've spoken about him 
before to you. You've probably heard about him before. In fact, I'm sure you've probably even read about him. He's an old friend of ours. His name's Nicodemus in the Bible. And Nicodemus is uh, one of those uh, characters in the Bible where people make reference to him, they speak about him, they, they refer to him in different ways. But who was he? Who was he? And why did Jesus specifically um, decide to speak to him what we're about to read? What was it about Nicodemus, this man, that Jesus said, I've got to tell you something, Nicodemus. I need to tell you something that the whole world is always going to quote me on again because I'm telling you this. Because who did Jesus say, for God so loved the world? Because don't we hear that quoted all the time? For God so loved the world that he gave who? His only son. Why? That whoever believes in this son, the Lord Jesus Christ, won't perish. It's a beautiful promise, but will have everlasting life. Can have the confidence that they will live forever. This truth that you see all over the world, John 3.16, you see it all over the world and all over posters and, and, and wherever you might hear it, you know, people talk about the gospel and the, the good news of Jesus. This gets talked about. This verse gets quoted. Well, who did Jesus tell this truth to? Well, it was Nicodemus. Why did he tell Nicodemus this truth that would then be quoted in, you know, in all history so many times? People would know it so well. well I want to share with you some thoughts about this beautiful brother of ours, and what, um, and what happens in this, in this passage. So let's go to John chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through to 7. <clears throat> so there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher of God, come from God. So you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh, of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So don't marvel that I said to you that you must be born again. And the passage goes on to talk about who Jesus is, it talks about the presence of Jesus. It talks about the, the promise of Jesus. It talks about the promise of transformation. And it goes on and he talks to Nicodemus about all these things, which we'll look at in a moment. But a remarkable passage. It's a remarkable passage that Jesus wants to tell Nicodemus something quite specific. And that's this. Nicodemus, if you want to have anything to do with me, and if you want to have anything to do with the kingdom, and if you really want to experience anything to do with the things of God, then you've got to be born again. And we, the church, over centuries, have made this concept very, very... Well, anything we kind of want it to be over the years. And yet for Jesus, it was very simple. Listen, Nicodemus, if you really want to know God, then you've got to be born again. 
Who is he telling? Who is he explaining this to? Why does, why does Nicodemus even need to know this? This specific truth that we have to all know today. Well, what do we know about him? I want to share some things about Nicodemus. Before I get into this passage, I want to share some things about him to give you a bit of a context to what, who, who is even this guy that Jesus needed and felt the need to share this um, with him. Well, we know clearly from verse 1, the Bible says, that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So we know straight away, very clearly from the Bible, that this man was in a position of authority. This man was in leadership. This man was from a popular group called the Pharisees. Most likely he was quite knowledgeable, probably reputable, probably someone who walked around with some sense of, um, some sense of um, respect as well, quite possibly. So we know that he wasn't just somebody that was kind of um, disregarded. We know that he was someone who was a leader and it was of, of a group called the Pharisees. Well, that says something in itself, doesn't it? That Jesus, had to, Jesus was communicating to someone who should have known his stuff, who should have understood things. It should have been clear to him these things that really if he was interested then this should be something that someone knowledgeable of the Pharisees, of leadership, should kind of get it. We also know that Nicodemus was somewhat sincere. Another time when um, they were disputing who Jesus was, they were actually arguing and they were complaining that the people of authority were not bringing Jesus to them like in the form of arrest. And the Bible says this, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night being one of them, said to them, Does our Lord judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? So he's telling his mates, Does our Lord let us judge someone before we, at least we hear what he's doing? That's fair, isn't it? Surely, our, even if we're true Pharisees, Surely we should even be true to what our law asks us to do. So before we judge this guy, shouldn't we at least listen to him? He's somewhat sincere, isn't he? They answered and said to Nicodemus, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And I think this is a diversion of, of, of what they should be listening, uh, uh, contemplating, because then they challenge him. They go, hang on a second, what are you talking about? Come on, man, what are you talking about? You, you should know. Has any prophet arisen out of Galilee? What, what are you, why are you even contemplating that this man should be listened to? Well, perhaps, perhaps they really didn't um, understand the Scriptures because there is good evidence to suggest that there was a prophet like Jonah who came out of Galilee and they're suggesting here, well, no prophets come out of Galilee. Is that really the case? Maybe they didn't really know everything they should have known. And I think sometimes people do that. Sometimes people fight against us or fight against the truth, not because they necessarily know better, but they're just resisting wanting to accept the truth. Does that make sense? There's a resistance. And so they're, they're, they're grabbing at anything they can to prove an argument against the truth. Because deep down in their hearts, they're not ready to receive it. They don't really want it. They're, they're anxious about something. 
They think, oh, what is it going to mean if I decide to be a, a follower of Jesus? And so they'll make arguments, not because the arguments are reasonable, it's because they're trying to find ways to avoid making a decision. And to those people, sometimes it's not worth arguing with. It's not worth fighting with. Other than to love them and to keep sharing God's truth with them and be that example to Christ. So Nicodemus was somewhat curious as well. But he was also, listen to this, he was also so curious that through all Jesus' life, he stayed interested right up to the very end of his life because even at the time of the burial, he was there again doing something. Listen to this, John 19. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe and about a hundred pounds. How does that even work? Why does he bring a hundred pounds of spices at the burial? What's he going to do with a hundred pounds? It says something to me about Nicodemus. It says something about him. He challenges the Pharisees. First, he comes to Jesus and asks him a question, which is brave enough as it is. Can you imagine going to Jesus, having to ask a question? That takes you courage to do that. There was a sincerity because in the sincerity, he's challenging, um, he's challenging uh, the, his own mates about what they should do about Jesus. And then this curiosity stays right to the very end because he brings all these spices for the burial of Jesus more than they even need. Like an abundance. It's like this reflection of, I just want to pour out whatever I can for this man because of what he's done for me. I was going to give everything to him. It's like that. Something quite unique, quite remarkable about this man. When so many of the same people of his group, the Pharisees, hated Jesus and were envious of him and were jealous of him and wanted him killed, here is this one man that stood out that thought, no, I can't just follow the crowd. There's something about Jesus that really does matter. What a courageous man. What a, what a, what a, what a sincere man. Someone who's not just prepared to listen to what everyone's saying, but is prepared to seek it out himself sincerely. Isn't this what we should be? Imagine if you listened to every news article and every movie and every idea and thought about what people thought of Jesus, or your friends, your friends, the most knowledgeable people. Or Google, even better. Imagine if you just believed everything you read and, and, under, and because it was popular to, under, to, to think this. Imagine this, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be destroyed. But Nicodemus wasn't like this. He said, you know what, I'm going to find out for myself. I'm going to find out for myself and thank the Lord he's with us now. I'm going to go ask him. I'm going to go and ask him. Interestingly, every time Jesus, um, Nicodemus is referenced in the Bible, he's referenced as the man who went to Jesus by night. Would you like that about you? I don't know. I was thinking about it. I think, is that a positive thing or maybe not so positive? I don't know. The man who went to Jesus by night. Do you want to be remembered as the one who went to Jesus by night? Like not in the day? Because maybe by night because um, say the other Pharisees couldn't see him, perhaps. Either way, he's referenced like that all the time. The man who went to Jesus by night. But nonetheless, here he was courageous enough to go and find out for himself. And so he asks, he comes to Jesus and, um, um, and he says to him in verse 1 again, uh, sorry, he comes to Jesus and in, um, 
Verse 2, he says, the Bible says, And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is, is with him. Unless God is with him. Now you notice the word here. I wonder if anyone's picked up this word in this dialogue between him and Jesus. He says, he doesn't say I, does he? He says we. Who's he talking about? Who's he talking about when he says we? We know, he says, we know that you're a teacher from God for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. We don't know who he's talking about here. But maybe, I like to think this, maybe growing and brewing among the group of the Pharisees themselves, these religious leaders of the day, maybe brewing among them with a little group thinking to themselves, there's something about this guy. There's something about you. I know, I know what everyone else is saying in our group, but there's something about this man. And maybe he became the spokesman. Maybe they said to him, Nicodemus, can you go ask him? You're brave? Go ask him. He says, we know that you're from God because how does anyone do these signs unless God is with him? And I'm wondering what signs Nicodemus is referring to because the Gospel of John, the only real sign that has been written and recorded already was the water turned into wine at the wedding. So there could have been other things that had happened before then, but that's really the only sign that John records up till now. But whatever Nicodemus saw, he realized something. What this man is doing is not like some ordinary man. And I challenge you this morning, if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or if you have some skepticism about the Lord Jesus Christ, I challenge you this morning to find me someone in history that is just as extraordinary as Jesus himself. I'm happy to hear it. And he says, there's something about you. Because no one can do these things unless God is with him. So if we reject him, we reject life. We reject God's um, uh, answer for life. And Nicodemus, I don't think, was prepared to do that. And then I've always been amazed why Jesus says what he says next. And I've always and I've contemplated, is it because John, as he wrote this, left out a whole bunch of conversation before Jesus got to this? Or is this exactly how Jesus answered Nicodemus? Like, is there more stuff that went on in between these between that verse and that verse? Because it's possible. Not every word was recorded. Is it possible? Or did Jesus just say to Nicodemus in verse 3? The Bible says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's so many ideas and so many concepts why Jesus got straight to the point. But I like to think this, that what he saw in Nicodemus was a man who was courageous enough to come and speak to him, a man who was sincere enough to be interested a man who was genuine enough to want to find out the truth, that he sees a man here that is not necessarily worried about knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge, but just wants to know the truth. And the truth is this, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. K 
come. If you really want what you're looking for and if you really want what you're seeking, I'm going to give it straight to you. Make sense? I'm going to tell you as it is. I'm going to give you the truth the whole world is going to be speaking about for forever. You need to be born again. And I love it. Because Jesus doesn't go into sort of knowledge and more knowledge. Let's get into this theologically because you're a Pharisee, you're a teacher of the law. Let me, um, you, know, you, you expound the law. Um, he doesn't sort of go into that. He goes straight in and he says, Nicodemus, can I just tell you right from the start? you just got to be born again. Now this is interesting. Because Nicodemus was a religious man, wasn't he? He was a religious man. He was a learned, learned man. He would have known the scriptures. He would have known about God. He would have taught about God. He would have shared about God. He was a religious man. He was part of a religious community, so they would have always been sort of sharing things about God as well. Um, he would have probably um, been... People have gone to him for questions about God. So there's a lot of things about Nicodemus that reflect who you and I are today. Religious... Uh, part of a religious community, learned, know about God, and it was all these sorts of things. But yet to that person, to that person, Jesus says, stop. You can have all this. You can be religious. You can be part of a religious community. You can know about God. You can learn about God. You can speak about God. But you've got to be born again. <laughs> all right, what do I do this information now? It's not, it's not just good enough. To be part of a community that's religious. It's not just good enough to be part of a church that looks that calls itself Christian. It's not good enough just to like Christian things or to learn about Christian things that seem to be entertaining or even exciting. What Jesus says to Nicodemus is this: you can have all these things, Nicodemus, and they're all very nice for a time, but you need to come to a place where you are born again. That would have been confronting for him. I believe what Jesus says to Nicodemus is what he says to everyone who sincerely desires to know God and to live life the way God has called them to live. I believe in the same way Jesus told Nicodemus who was somewhat religious, he tells us the same thing, that if you want to live and you want to know life, then you have to be born again. The good thing is that born again is not a religion. That's the good news. Isn't that great? Imagine going from one religion to another. And born again isn't a title. I'm born again. But this experience that people have when they come to a genuine faith in Jesus cannot be denied. Their life is changed. And this happens differently for different people. It happens differently for different people. People who come to Jesus and give their life to him and trust him with all their heart and receive the forgiveness of sins when they're older in life, like many of us. You see very clearly a very distinct 
change, don't you? People tell you their story, their testimony. We see it in the baptisms. People say things like, oh, I was doing this and I went there and I was doing and I was here and I found. And you think, wow, God called this person, despite all that they've done, to faith. Truly, they are born again. Do you understand? And then there are people who come to faith when they're quite young, like I was. Not even 17. I come to faith and my life wasn't that bad like it wasn't great but you wouldn't look at me and think whoa he's off he's he's gone (laughs) you wouldn't have thought that and so when i give my life to the lord yes there is a change but it's not as dramatic as someone who's much older than me does that make sense but still in my own heart i am born again there is a life there's an experience there is a trust there is a difference There's a desire now to put only Jesus first in me. And you get those who grow up in the church. Well, their life is even less different because they grow up in the church and and their life somewhat reflects being a Christian already. But something even happens to them. Do you know that? Something even happens to them. The Holy Spirit works in such a way where they realize, I can't do life without him. In all my attempts to be good, I realize I fail. And still, I need Jesus and Jesus alone. And though outwardly, we may not see this massive difference in their life, because I think, you know what? You were always like that. Inwardly, if you ask them, they say, no, no, trust me, I wasn't. My life now is only for Jesus. I'm not interested in the desires and the passions and the indulgences of this world. I'm only interested in following Jesus and in his footsteps. And they're born again. How it happens, when it happens, what they do, what they don't do, that's God in them. But their experience is still the same. Their life is changed. You understand? And so Jesus is challenged in this. Not He's not challenged, sorry, but he challenges Nicodemus because he's talking to this religious man who probably was a good man, saying to him, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. So what is it? Well, fortunately, Jesus then gives a bit more of an explanation. Verse 4, Nicodemus says to him, how can a man... Be born when he's old. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What a good question. Fair enough. It's a good question. I'm just curious, what did he mean by this question? I'm just curious. Was he kind of just drawing out more from Jesus? What was he saying in this? But it's a good question. How do you get born again? What what does it mean to be born again? Do you go back in the womb and come out again? Well, obviously Nicodemus didn't think that was the case, but he was inquiring. What does it mean? What does it mean, Jesus? And I love when people don't get something and they're humble enough to say, I want to know more what you're saying. I don't get it. I don't understand what you're sharing. I don't understand what you meant by that. And they're humble enough to say, can you help me understand it more? How beautiful. So here we have a man, sincere, courageous, humble enough to ask the question. And Jesus is so willing to explain to him the very truths of God. 
Not a religion, not another religion, not a title, but truly an experience. And Jesus answers it in verse 5. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to be very simple about this. Um, I don't want to complicate this. But Jesus is saying very, something very simple to Nicodemus. If you really want to know life, then you need to be born of water and you need to be born of spirit. This needs to be your experience. Because my desire, my heart's desire, brothers and sisters, is this. Not for anyone in our church to know the facts about God and be comforted with that. Not to be, find comfort in knowing they are part of a church who cares for them and find comfort in that. But they themselves know without a shadow of doubt that they are born again. That's what I want you to know. Not a title, not a religion, but you know what it means to have trusted God so much that your life is like it is new. Now you explain to me, how does someone be part born again? How does that work? Who decides that they want to um, make Jesus just part of their life? Can someone be part born again? Can someone be part born? So the beauty of this is Jesus saying, this is what it is. You trust me and your life is changed. You trust me with all your hearts. And when you do this, there is a transformation. There is a new creation. There is a spiritual birth that now understands what it means to live with Jesus at the center of everything that we do. Not partly, but completely. Because we're born again. Do you understand? This is my desire. So he says, he says so you need to have, uh, be, be, um, uh, you need water and spirit. Now I think Nicodemus being a Pharisee would have had an idea what Jesus was talking about. And I think what Nicodemus would have understood is that Jesus was referring not to some sort of water baptism, But he would have been referring to something of what the water is a reflection of or a symbolism of. And it's very simple. I think what Nicodemus would have done, he would have understood what Jesus was talking about because he would have understood the scriptures. Let me tell you what it says in Ezekiel 36. God says this, And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. See what God's doing that in the Old Testament? God's using water as an image or as a symbol that I'm going to clean you. Do you understand? I'm going to clean you. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, very simple, you need to be born of water, God's cleansing, and to be born of the Spirit, God's transforming. Do you understand? And God's sealing. And I think he would have understood that. So now he's challenged again. What does he do with this? But Jesus goes on and explains it further. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And again, I want to make this very simple. To know and to be assured 
that our faith in Christ is not part born again. It is born again. Because we've trusted and placed him at the center of everything in our lives. And therefore, the birth spiritually has happened in our hearts. Jesus said, let me give you a hint of what happens. When you're born of flesh, then you're flesh. Everything you do is just what humans do. Do you get that? Everything you do is what, what we call the flesh does. Everything flows out of a place of humanness. You can't expect someone who is born of flesh alone to do anything that was remarkably spiritual. They, their life will reflect that of humanness. So when someone who was born of flesh says to me, No! I'm not going to let go of that grudge that I've got for that person. And I think, well, they're not even a Christian. How do I expect them to? I'd love them to. (laughs) And I think they could at least try. But it flows out of humanness, doesn't it? No, I'm not going to stop doing that thing that I love so much doing just because you say it's not right. Well, okay. Because what flows out of them is humanness. The flesh. That which is born of flesh is flesh. I'm not going to expect, though I would like to see something of a change in their life, but that which is born of flesh is flesh. But listen, to the one who is born again, that's not what dictates their life, does it? Because the one who is born again, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now, I expect to be speaking to that person and for them to say, you know what, it's so challenging to stop this grudge that I have, but I know by the power of God I'm going to do it. Because now the Holy Spirit lives within me. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Ah, I see you have the new birth. I see that you are born again. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Because now that which is born of spirit is spirit. And so it is wrong for one who is born of spirit to lock themselves in with the mindset and a heart and attitude that says, like the one who lives by the flesh. It's not right. Because they are born again. And you should rejoice And take courage and take heart that you're not born of flesh if you're born again, but you are born of spirit. And this is your hope and this is your victory. Lest you find yourself trying to just make your life better, which is disastrous for anyone who tries to make their life better like a Christian without experiencing the new birth. It's like putting a new cloth on an old garment. What happens? (laughs) It tears. You can't do it. You can't just try and get better without the new birth. You need to trust in the saving, powerful work of Jesus because you, like Nicodemus, come humbly, come sincerely, come courageously and say, Jesus, I need you. I don't care what everyone else thinks but I need you. I need you alone because you are able to save my soul. What does Jesus say to finish? So therefore, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Because there are many people today who continue to still marvel at the idea of being born again. What do you mean by this? It's unbelievable. It's not right. I can't understand it. What's this concept? 
And there are many people who still marvel today at the idea. But Jesus says this to us, to reassure us, comfort us, give us peace. Don't marvel. You just need to do it. You need to come in simple faith and say, Lord, I need the birth in my heart that only you can do. I need the work in my heart that only your spirit can do. I need to have you work in my life that I don't live out of a place of humanness, but rather as a, out of a place of the spirit that works in me because I am born again. Yeah, makes sense? And I pray this morning that all of us, rather than marvelling or contemplating it or, or, or resisting it, say, you know what? And, and if, you, if, you, if you haven't experienced it, to be able to say, Lord, this is, my, this is what I want. I will come, I will come this morning and I will pray, Lord, here's my life. I must be born again. Make sense? And when we pray this morning, uh, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to think about this and, and, and to come to a place in, in humility before the Lord and to seek his face and to call upon his name. And to know that what he can do is beyond what you ask or think. Because he is God. Yeah? Let's pray together. As we have our heads bowed this morning, just reflect on the word of God this morning. I want to encourage you that our church is not a church who believes in titles like born again title or, or a religion that we are born again Christians. That's not what our church believes. But rather... We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that changes the lives of people deep within their hearts where it really matters. Because when they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and they put their faith in Him, it's got nothing to do with what religion you associate with, but the transforming power of Jesus working in your heart. And that is the comfort, reassurance and the victory and the hope that your life has been transformed that you have experienced the new birth and that God is working in your heart. So don't be, don't be scared. Come. If that's not who you are, if that's not your experience this morning, come and say to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, Lord, I want it to be. I want it to be in every part of my life. I don't want to be part born again. I don't want to be part the experience. I don't want to live part the life. I want it now, the new birth. Work in my heart, Lord. Transform my life. Fill me with all of you as I put my trust in you. I'm just going to give you a moment to pray to the Lord just, just quietly in your own hearts before we sing together. Just take a moment to pray. However the Lord has worked and spoken to your heart through the word, however he's spoken, I just pray that you would pray in accordance to what God has spoken. But don't resist his voice. And don't resist his word. God is good and God is faithful that he would send his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to die on the cross for our sins. That if we humble ourselves and we confess our sins before him, that if we humble ourselves and trust him and what, he's done, what he did on the cross, that we find repentance in our hearts. We say, Lord, I'm done with the humanness of life, the, the flesh of life, so to speak. 
I come before you for forgiveness, for healing, for the new birth. And that's why God so loved the world that he gave his son. Father, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He came and sought us, saved us, transformed us and gave us a new birth. A birth that only you can do and the work of your spirit. We trust you, Lord. We trust you and we thank you. Bless your people. Bless the week ahead of them. And for all those who've placed their trust in you today, may you continue to work in them by the power of your spirit to bring more and more of the life of Christ in their own lives. Father, shine upon them this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.